Hello, I'm Miranda. And I'm Lucas. And welcome to the finale of our Halloween specials. We're your hosts from that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast, and we'll be reading one final tale from the spooky tome, filled with trepidation, ghosts, and ghouls, and other creatures that go bump in the night. Each story has been recorded live and read from the spooky tome. This is episode four, and if you've missed the first three episodes, then use the link in the description below to go back and watch them. The sagas of the Norse people are filled with unsettling accounts of inexplicable creatures which haunted the wild northern parts of the world. Leviathans that swim the dark frozen ocean, hideous troll women who ride ferocious wolves through the wilderness, and nameless horrors that I dare not describe to you. And Viking heroes had regular and disturbing encounters with creatures of living death, the Aptaganga, the Hagui, and the Draugr. So stay close to the warmth and light of the hearth as I recite this chilling Viking encounter of a mysterious entity, a relentless haunting, and the chaos that followed. So for one final time, it wanders at nights. In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place, where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. This dark tale occurred in Iceland on a Viking age farm in Fossaludal, which was home to a farmer named Thorhall. The farm was large, which should have made Thorhall a very wealthy man, but there was a strange problem which plagued the lands he farmed, for this place was haunted. The domain of a strange and otherworldly being which tormented livestock and shepherds. No one had ever managed to get a clear look at the creature, which made it all the more horrifying in their imaginations, leading many shepherds to abandon the farm. The entity which haunted his land was clearly some large, strong, and evil creature, so Thorhall hired an exceptionally large and fearsome-looking man to work his land, who was named Glam. Glam had an unsettling, and strange appearance, for he was remarkably large, his hair was wolf-grey, and his eyes looked deranged and mad, for they were always unsettlingly wide open. He arrived on the farm at the same time that a long, cold autumn crept into the world, and he proved able to herd sheep simply by shouting menacingly at them with his deep, angry voice. His work was satisfactory though no one liked Glam at all, as they found him to be awkward, uncivil, and utterly repulsive. On one bitterly cold morning, he went to work in a foul and hostile mood, and his angry shouts yelled at the sheep could be heard for miles around, until strangely, they stopped. And the only thing heard outdoors was the howling of the wind as a heavy blizzard descended upon the land. The day passed, 
and Knight returned to the farm. But Glam did not. No one had heard or seen him for many hours, and the weather was now far too violent to begin a search. So they waited until daybreak, and that is when they found what was left of him. In a neighbouring valley, there was a vast area of snow, which appeared as if it were flattened and trampled by some gigantic creature. Judging by the state of things, it looked as if there had been a violent struggle between two large opponents, as boulders had been ripped up out of the earth and tossed around, and at the centre of this strange scene was the nauseating mess that had once been glam. His body was horrifically broken, bruised, and swollen up to the size of an ox, and he had turned a most unnatural shade of blue. Folks shuddered when they saw him, and gasped in horror at what appeared to be gigantic footprints filled with great splashes of blood. Some brave souls followed the trail of footprints, but found that they mysteriously ended in a pool of blood with no body or remains of the creature which had produced them. It was decided that Glam must have battled the evil creature which haunted the land, and though it had killed Glam, he must have struck it a mortal wound, as now it appeared to be gone. But if only that were the end of the story, if only Glam could now be laid to rest and remembered as a mighty monster slayer. The evil being, whatever this nameless abomination was, it was dead, but it wasn't gone. Its malevolence and its dark powers seemed to have somehow survived and spread like some malignant, otherworldly infection. Folk decided that Glam's corpse should be buried in a churchyard, but his body had become strangely heavy. Not even the strongest ox or horse could shift it an inch. A priest then arrived to perform religious rites for Glam. But when he approached the spot where the corpse lay, there was nothing there. Glam had vanished. As soon as the confused priest left the valley, Glam's swollen, shattered body reappeared, as if anxious to avoid holy men. Utterly perplexed by these events, it was decided that a pile of stones should be raised over Glam, and he be left to rest upon the site of his death. But Glam refused to rest. At first, he was seen wandering the boundaries of farms at nightfall, staring at folk with his wide, deranged, dead eyes. And his swollen, twisted silhouette was enough to frighten the wits out of people. But things grew worse as Glam became violent, as he slaughtered and mutilated any and all animals that he came across, turning fields of livestock into barren bloodbaths, ripping dogs and horses inside out with supernatural strength. He would approach buildings where men and animals slept, and he would scratch at the locked shutters, trying to find a way inside. And when this didn't work, he would climb onto buildings, riding upon rooftops whilst kicking and thrashing, which caused many structures to collapse upon their innocent occupants. Clearly, the evil creature which had long haunted the valley had found that Glam, a wicked and evil-natured monster of a man, was the perfect vessel to inhabit. Allowing it to spread terror, violence, and death, Glam was now a Draugr. 
Another shepherd named Thorgalds claimed to be unafraid of what he called little phantoms, even boasting that he found the Draugr's hauntings to be quite entertaining, as he observed from what he felt was a safe distance. However, on one freezing cold evening, Thorgout did not return from the field, and when they found him in the morning, it was clear that poor, foolishly brave Thorgout had met with Glam the Draugr, for no living man or animal could have inflicted the horrific wounds he had suffered. Every single bone in his body, large and small, was absolutely shattered. Thorgout was given a good Christian burial, though the Draugr now began to increase the frequency and ferocity of his hauntings, as if he had absorbed some new strength and power from his victim. Shortly after this, a servant went to Thorhall's cowshed when the sun was at its highest and brightest, but just as she entered, the cattle began bellowing in terror and gored each other to death, and she heard a horrendously loud crack, so loud that she feared the roof was about to collapse upon her. But it was far worse, for the noise was in fact the sound of a shepherd's spine snapping in half as Glam claimed yet another victim. The Draugr was now haunting and hunting during the day, which led every man, woman and child to leave the land, and once Glam had murdered and mutilated all the remaining livestock and wild animals, poor Thorhal was the last living thing left in this desolate and haunted wasteland. Tales about this nightmare then reached a strong Norseman known as Grettir, who was always eager for a challenge, so he rode his horse into Thorhal's haunted lands. Thorhal was worried that Glam may come to investigate the new visitor, but the Draugr did not visit the house that night. Thorhal hoped that Grettir had perhaps scared it away, maybe ending the hauntings once and for all. But this, of course, was not the case. For the next morning, they discovered what was left of Grettir's horse. The stable had been torn open. The horse had clearly been grabbed and dragged outside, where it had been ripped to pieces by Glam. Grettir was now determined to destroy the Draugr once and for all. So that night, Grettir lay down upon a platform within the farmhouse and shrouded himself from view with a large blanket. The house was still, quiet, and a ramshackle, uninviting mess which had been battered and ruined by the Draugr's previous visitations. It felt as if the moonlight had been swallowed and stolen away by some monster, and as if the stars had abandoned the sky, for it was unnaturally dark. The only light in the hall came from a single small flame, just bright enough to let Grettir see clearly, and hopefully bright enough to lure the undead. Hours of silent darkness passed, but then there was a noise, the sound of snow crunching beneath feet. The footsteps sounded slow and heavy, but grew louder and closer. Before, there was a great crashing noise, and the footsteps now seemed to come from above the hall. The Draugr was on the roof, beating against the house, and causing every timber to creak and groan as if on the verge of collapse. 
and then it stops. The ruined front door creaks open, and Grettir saw a silhouette of something against the snow outside. It had to stoop forwards and practically crawl through the entrance. Its head came in first, and Grettir was astonished at how enormous, misshapen, and disturbingly large-featured it was. It slowly dragged the rest of its body in, and straightened up to its full height, towering high into the roof. When Glam had been alive, he was taller than the average man, with uncommon features. But in death, he seemed to have mutated, twisted in size and shape by living death, into a hulking blue monster, scarcely recognisable as a human. His dead, deranged eyes saw the neatly wrapped blanket on the platform, and he reached out his long, swollen blue limbs towards it, grabbing hold of the fabric and tugging at it. But Grettir had cleverly braced himself against a sturdy wooden beam and pushed against the drag of strength. Glam pulled harder and harder still, until eventually, the fabric of the blanket ripped in two, and the Draugr toppled over backwards. Glam stared in confusion at the shredded fabric in his hands, and that is when Grettir struck. He leapt under Glam's arms and grabbed him around the middle, pressing against him to force him backwards. The Draugr shrugged away Grettir's attack with its unnatural strength, and it tried to strike out at Grettir, but the man was smaller and quicker, able to hide behind timbers and leap between platforms, whilst the Draugr was slow and restricted by the confines of the house which he could barely fit into. Glam knew that his hulking size was a disadvantage in this enclosed space, so he grabbed hold of Grettir and quickly tried to drag him outside, where he could not hide. But Grettir kicked against a stone within the threshold, surprising Glam, who toppled through the doorway into the snow. His fall caused the entire house to collapse, but Grettir leapt to safety just in time and fell on top of the Draugr with sword drawn. But just at that moment, the moon re-emerged from behind dark clouds, and Grettir was paralysed with horror when he saw the moonlight reflecting in the Draugr's dead, demented eyes. Its swollen blue lips parted, and it spoke for the first and the last time, whispering a foul curse. You've shown courage in seeking out the living dead, but I curse you, Grettir, son of Osmond. From this day forward, you shall never grow any stronger and all of your deeds shall lead to misfortune and failure. I curse you to live alone for the rest of your sad, violent life, and your loneliness shall be your doom. I will die here now for a second time, but you will forever see my eyes in dark places haunting you always. Grettir then struck the Draugr with his sword, removing its head and placing it by his rump, preventing it from ever rising again. And the corpse was cremated, with the ashes buried deep beneath the earth. Thorhal thanked Grettir, rewarding him greatly, and now no man in Iceland was as famous and well-regarded as Grettir the Draugr Slayer. But Grettir felt himself changed. He was now absolutely terrified of the dark 
and he dared go nowhere alone after sunset, for he was sure he saw apparitions and phantoms haunting him in the darkness, which sometimes took the form of two large dead eyes filled with madness and malice. Grete would eventually fall victim to the curse laid upon him by the Draugr, but that is a tale for another time, for the hour grows late and I would rather not dwell any longer upon ancient sagas of the living dead. Yay, they're back. We're back. <laughs> and I think we're going to carry on with Vikings now for yes. a little while. Our fans will be pleased to hear. We've had our fill of medieval and early modern for the summer, I think. <laughs> yeah, Viking winter. Yes. <laughs> so we are back with a, I think it's a very fitting episode, really, because this was like, you know, kind of the, the episode that introduced you as our scald last year. Was that a year ago? It oh, was wow. a year ago. <laughs> so we are back and better than ever, really. So... Tell us about this story, Lucas. Okay, so this Viking supernatural story, of course, comes from the Icelandic sagas. It's the saga of Grettir the Strong. So like all the other sagas, it's written in the medieval period. This is one of the later ones, probably written around the year 1400, though it's firmly set within the Viking Age. It's a very long saga overall, so this supernatural segment that we've just told you is just a very short episode from within it. But I think we might one day revisit the Salagra Gretzir because he has lots of adventures all over Scandinavia. His brother even goes to Constantinople as well, so it's quite a wide-ranging story. Gretzir is quite a popular character in modern Iceland. He's not that well-known, I think, outside of Iceland, though. He wasn't on the TV show, was he? So <laughs> he's not Ragnar. Who is he? I don't know. Um, and the saga does have some great comedic parts in it. Uh, there's one part where Grettir arms himself and challenges another man to a duel, but that man has no weapons, so starts throwing yogurts at Grettir <laughs> instead. Unfortunately, the yogurt fight was not in the horrifying section, so... So not included. No, he did not have a yogurt fight with the undead. <laughs> um, so this might be a spoiler maybe for a future episode, but I've got to know, that curse, that kind of prophecy for Grettir, does that ever amount to anything? Yes, that's it's a very pivotal part of the story. It's the beginning of Grettir's downfall, this horrifying curse of the Draugr. So may- maybe one day I will explore that a bit further, yes. And or the rest. yogurt fight as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the story overall, it's a bit like Beowulf, I think, actually, isn't it? There's a bit, yeah. some reminiscent scenes in it. You've got this kind of building, this hall, this monster emerges at night, a hero comes along to save the day. So Beowulf, of course, is an Anglo-Saxon story, but they share that Germanic storytelling tradition there, clearly, don't they? They do. I mean, you've mentioned before, they're all just ripping off each other's stories, really, yes. aren't they? Yeah, they're politely plagiarising each <laughs> other, yes. So we have explored the Draugr before, yes. but we didn't really have a discussion about it last year. It was just the story, which was an amazing story. I mean, definitely go back and check out episode 22. Um, but we, we need to have a chance to kind of figure out what the heck a Draugr is? Because it's not something that we have a modern day equivalent to, really. Not really, no. I mean, we've got no Draugr remains at Jorvik Viking Center either. I mean, I'm shocked <laughs> by that. But yeah, so so tell us about Draugrs. So you'll notice there are some similarities between the events and the characters between this episode and episode 22, our spooky Draugr story from last year. They're both stories about people who are not very nice. We've got Glam and Thorolf Twistfoot, 
who died somewhat mysteriously. They swell up to hideous size, they turn blue, they become too heavy to move, then they start rising at night and slaughtering people. So quite a weird situation indeed. <laughs> I really love that they're too heavy, and I love that that's cropped up in both stories, because why? Why yeah. are they so heavy? Or oh, just, they're just full of mean... They're like, wow, Glam got fat. <laughs> <laughs> so in both of these stories, we've, ca- we've called these undead beings Draugr. So this is this is a term that some listeners might be familiar with because Draugr pop up in other Viking and Scandinavian theme concepts. For example, I think I first came across Draugr in the Elder Scrolls games in both Blood Moon and Skyrim. They pop up, I think, in God of War as well, in an episode of the kids' cartoon Hilda on Netflix. Watch Hilda, it's awesome, by the way. <laughs> and I even learnt, whilst doing some research for this episode, that there is a planet named Draugr. I love it. <laughs> Not in our solar system. <laughs> it's, it's in one of the stars around the Virgo constellation. For some reason, an Italian observatory picked a horrifying Scandinavian monster to name this planet after. So the planet Draugr. Maybe one day we shall settle that planet. Maybe. <laughs> I hope that the planet is like huge and blue and ugly, you know? Mm. Um, so Draugr is one of many terms that come up for the undead in saga literature. Another one is Apturgangr. This means something like a gain walker, so quite apt for the undead. Another is Halgbui, which means something like a barrow dweller, so someone who lives in a, in a grave. And also there's troll. So troll is a very generic word. It means a monster, basically, in this period. It's worth mentioning Glam in this particular text. He's not explicitly called a Draugr. I've just chosen this word for the adaptation as it's pretty much the most common term we use today to describe these horrifying Viking monsters. And he's got the characteristics. I mean, he's yeah. blue and he's heavy and Definitely. mean. Big fat blue Glam, yes. <laughs> so a Draugr is basically an undead person. And then all of the finer details about them, um, like the reason they're now undead, their supernatural abilities, strengths and weaknesses, they vary quite a lot between different stories. They're pretty much anything the writer wants them to be. They do always appear to be animated corpses, though. They're not like an apparition or a phantom or something like that. They're very physical and tangibly there, which is why wrestling matches often (laughs) seem to happen with them. So in some stories, the Draugr is actually able to pass through solid objects. We see this with a Draugr named Killer Hrap, in the saga of the people of Laxadal. At other times, the Draugr is a bit more like a vampire. They rise from their burial spot at night, and they're subject to some very strange supernatural rules and regulations, like vampires are. On other occasions, I think a bit like last year's story, they're more like zombies, really. Yeah. There was a horrifying horde of them, wasn't there, last there was, year? Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't just, like, people. Like, animals and yeah. stuff became Draugr as well. It's a bit sort of like Resident Evil or something, yeah. or The Walking Dead. There's almost like a Draugr <laughs> infection that seems to spread and kills people, then they rise. In this case, though, uh, Glam, he seems to have contracted undeath, however you want to phrase that. <laughs> From that mysterious unseen monster from the start of the story. Bit of a cop-out, I think, not seeing it and actually describing it. Maybe it's more horrifying, though. We don't know what it actually is. 
And in last year's story, Thorolf Twistfoots, he is kind of the metaphorical source of this Draugr undeath outbreak that spread to others. Yeah, but that was like after some cursed bedsheets and a cloud that rained blood. Yeah, and... all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. yeah. So maybe those cursed bedsheets, could that be a metaphor for like an infectious disease on a blanket or bed linen, something Fair. like that? Fair. Yeah. Could be an allegory, maybe. Now, in modern times, we've got all sorts of supernatural creatures in our stories, and they tend to have a very firm set of characteristics. So if we were talking about vampires, uh, garlic, sunlight, yeah. holy water, they don't like any of those things. That's pretty much universal. So if I met a vampire tonight, I know exactly what to do. Splash of holy water, throw a, lo- uh, a lobe of garlic, not a lobe of garlic. <laughs> a throw, throw a clove of garlic at their face, something like that. We know that dwarves... Dwarves have big beards, they've got Scottish accents. So when a modern fantasy story does not stick to these characteristics, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Grimmer on Twilight, the vampires are kind of sparkly, aren't they? They are, yeah. Now, Count Dracula is not a sparkly vampire at all, is he? So some people don't like that when you deviate from these kind of norms. But in the Viking period, supernatural creatures, they're far less clearly defined, and they vary significantly from story to story. Now, there's no obvious reason why somebody becomes a drowner. There's no religious reason, for instance. We don't hear, like, Odin going, No, you can't come to Valhalla. You're going to haunt the world and become a demon cow or something. (laughs) Some of the undead, they just seem to hang about in their tomb as well. They defend their grave goods. Sounds a bit like how they're depicted in some computer games, for instance. Well, that, um, um, there was one of those in the uh, the Northmen. The, yes, yeah. there was, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So, so they're just they're just sort of chilling out yeah. underground. Then some Viking goes, "I want your magic sword," and they go, "What? It's mine." <laughs> uh, other drower, like the ones in our stories here on the podcast, they roam the land. They hunt. They slaughter people and animals. And actually, in the saga of Gretia the the Strong, we do see both types, because we've got Glam, who is violent and rampages. In another part of the saga, there's a draugr named Car the Old, and he hangs out in his burial mound, guarding all his cool stuff. Now, the undead are often hideous to look at. They're swollen, they're misshapen, and they're as blue as death, because blue is the colour of death in the sagas. definitely. Uh, I wear my blue tunic quite a lot around Halloween (laughs) at Jorvik Viking Centre. They tend not to decay either, even after years of being dead. They're very heavy. They're very strong. They have supernatural feats of strength. They can tear their victims apart. And in some stories, they can only enter a house using a door they've exited through, which is quite an interesting phenomenon. Now, that was a big theme last year. That doesn't mm. seem to be a rule this year. No. So last time, last year, they bashed a hole through the wall, shoved Thorolf's body through it, and kind of patched the hole up, and the house is nice and safe. This year, Glam just punches buildings <laughs> apart, doesn't he? <laughs> just going, you can't hide from me. So that would be quite unsettling, wouldn't it? You'd go, ah, oh, we're safe. Oh dear, we're not. <laughs> it's a bit reminiscent, though, of vampires, isn't it? A vampire can only come into your house if with an invitation. Invited, yeah. yeah. Uh, Draugr also, they very rarely speak as well. They just sort of stare at you silently, then rip you apart. But when they do speak, they have horrifying magic and curses they might lay upon people, like the one in this particular story right at the end. 
They can sometimes manipulate weather as well, like the White Walkers on Game of Thrones. It gets all dark and stormy when they appear. <laughs> and there's just some stuff which I can't really easily define. Just utterly random, perplexing, <laughs> spooky things. Last year we had a zombie seal. Do you remember that one? That I was quite do. an iconic scene. That's my absolute favourite thing we've ever talked about. And there was the demon cow, of course. The first of many demon I cows know. that have that's, appeared that's on that Yorvik a... Viking thing podcast. It's just <laughs> such an unexpected common theme in these stories. So overall, a draugr can do anything a writer's twisted imagination can conjure up. Uh, it's also worth mentioning they sometimes smell foul as well. So I'm getting some vibes of our farting Georgian ghost as well from a previous episode. In one saga, which is the saga of Horde and the people of Holm, there is a draugr that smells so bad, two men die. You know, that's not a common enough trope anymore. You don't watch, like, a paranormal activity movie, and then one of the characters doesn't say, oh my god, it stinks in here. (laughs) And people drop dead, yeah. (laughs) Bring back the smells, I say. <laughs> we are quite used to foul Viking smells working at Yorvik Viking Center, so I think we'd be okay if we met a drow. We'd be immune. We go, smells like work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but tell me, how do you defeat a draugr? Well, often it ends in a wrestling match. Yeah. The Vikings love a good wrestle. Wrestling pops up all the time in the Icelandic sagas. It's a very big sport. So you wrestle it, somehow defeat it, despite its horrifying supernatural strength. Yeah. Then you decapitate it, just like Greta did here, and you place the severed head right by their bum. Okay. For how long? How long does the head have to stay there? Unclear. Okay, so an indeterminate (laughs) amount of time. Yes. There's something about the nature of the butts which (laughs) prevents the dead from rising, I suppose. And then what? Do you just leave them there? Well, they seem to often cremate the draugr afterwards, but then you've got to be really careful. Well, yeah, the cremation of a draugr is what led to the demon cow last year. It is, yeah. So Brettir, maybe he heard that story, did not want a demon cow haunting the farm. Mm. So he disposed of the ashes somewhere really, really distant and remote. Therefore, no monster cows, no more draugr. So... Very, very perplexing stuff, the Viking undead. They're pretty much all over the place, aren't they? Yeah, there is just no rhyme or reason to any of it, and I think that makes it better somehow. So, we hope you liked these four spooky, um, if not a little bit weird, um, Halloween stories. A little bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, this is the, the launch of us going back into Viking content, isn't it? Yes, Viking Windsor, here we come. We've got all sorts of exciting Viking episodes planned out for the winter. Uh, we've got some experts we're going to interview. We'll learn about Vikings in different regions of the world. And we've got a very interesting guest talking about eels, I think, coming we up have. quite soon, which I am very interested in learning more about. <laughs> Um, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And sleep tight. Ooh, lest a big fat blue drowger <laughs> finds you and farts. <laughs> <laughs> if you liked this episode and want to learn more about the Vikings, then come visit Jorvik Viking Centre, where you can enjoy the sights, sounds and smells of the Viking Age. You can book your tickets at yorvikvikingcenter.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Yorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favorite history podcast. 
To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schmiederer, Lucas Norton, and Gareth Henry. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.